Hey there, and welcome to the Best Picture Marathon of the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all the Best Picture winning films or die trying. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there, or at least better than the Jacksonville Jaguars have been doing lately against the Eagles and the Texans. Uh, my football woes aside, that's actually a pretty good transition and hint as to our guest for this episode. Uh, we're currently in full swing with awards film season. Uh, last weekend, as I record this, we had Tar and Triangle of Sadness make their opening debuts in limited release. And this coming weekend, we have Decision to Leave and Till making their releases. At the end of the month, we also get the Gotham Film Award nominees being announced, uh, which kicks off the red carpet roster. Now, what is red carpet rosters? Well, think fantasy sports mixed with awards season. Around this time, after the film festivals, but before nominations are announced for film critics awards and such, uh, you can you and nine friends can form a league on their website, redcarpetrosters.com, and run a draft like you would for fantasy football. You don't just draft films, you actually draft more granularly. You draft a director, screenwriter, actor, actress, uh, even technical roles like a composer or a cinematographer or costume or a makeup artist. Uh, and then based on the nominations that uh, and awards won by the individuals on your roster who you can trade for or pick up off waiver wire, you end up winning a head-to-head matchup against your league. You know the the, the between October twenty-fifth through um, you know Oscar Oscar nomination day is divided into a series of, of matchup periods. Um, you get a number of uh, you get a number of, of matchups, and you can win the head-to-head against other people in your league. Um, uh, and then, and then you know that, that that then culminates in the playoffs, which happen on Oscar nomination day uh, for three rounds. Uh, Oscar nomination day, uh, the period in between with all the Guild Awards and so on, and Baftas and Golden Globes, uh, and then finally, uh, you, you know, finally, a cl- uh, championship championship uh, night will be uh, Oscar night itself. Uh, this is kind of I think is really interesting because you know previously I've done the Oscars death race, uh, but I really just start engaging in it in December for the most part. I keep an eye on films, um, but I don't really start until like December. Or so when I started recording this podcast, this is just a way to get a little bit more out of the award season. Uh, pull it up, pull it up into uh, October, or so extend it a couple more months, and as another level of engagement for those uh, who are fans of these awards, more than just you know picking a list uh, and debating about it endlessly on Reddit or on Gold Derby. Uh, to talk a little bit more about red carpet rosters, I brought on the man behind the project, John. Uh, we talk about John's experience complete, competing and completing uh, the Oscars death race uh, from, you know, at this point, I believe six years or so, um, and how it stems from how straight out of the Compton actually was snubbed in its year for Best Picture, um, the lengths he and his wife, who they do it together, have gone to complete the death race, and how, you know, he married his love of fantasy sports and award season into red carpet rosters. Of course, you know, this being the Best Picture Marathon, I also had to have talk about some best picture winners uh, so you know uh, since both the Fablemans and Avard Hurtu are shaping up to be major contenders for this year's award season I decided this month's theme would be best picture winners by directors who have films coming out this year aka James Cameron's Titanic and Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List uh, on the Titanic side of the conversation John is able to change my mind from being a hater of Cameron's uh, simplistic screenplays to at least begrudgingly acknowledging their importance for his films overall we also talk about how one important edit saved uh, Titanic's best picture chances, and I get Titanic and Avatar mixed up constantly throughout this episode, so apologies for that. Um, over on the Sindler's List side of things, we talk about just how raw and emotional this film is with his black and white cinematography, and appreciate Liam Neeson's portrayal of Sindler without ever being able to really identify his turning point, which is a masterclass that we kind of wish he, he, does, he would do more of nowadays. Uh, and of course, we decide if both of these films are worthy of winning best picture. 
Uh, we also bring up the idea of me hosting a league on red carpet rosters, which I'm happy to announce. I actually have already uh, have up and running as of this episode releasing. I set a link on the on the um, about uh, for the Parasite League on uh, the De- the Oscars Death Face Discord. So we're about half full on of the ten person league at this point, but there is still space for you to join. Uh, we'll try to do a live draft probably the weekend after this episode comes out. Uh, exact time t- TBD. Uh, red carpet rosters does have its own separate Discord, which was, which is where we'll communicate those details. But I'll repeat all of those instructions at the end of this episode. Uh, for now, let's hop into my somewhat lengthy, admittedly, but hopefully it's enjoyable thought. Let's hop into my conversation with John from Red Carpet Rosters. And joining me on the podcast today is John from Red Carpet Rosters. John, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself uh, yourself to the listeners? Tell us, you know, where you're from. Uh, how do you describe yourself as a movie fan? Sure. Uh, yeah, my name is John. Uh, I'm uh, the admin at uh, Red Carpet Rosters, and I'm thrilled to be here. So thank you so much for uh, having me on. So I live in D.C. I run the Red Carpet Rosters, which is just film awards meets fancy football. We get together uh, with leagues. Uh, we draft in October. Uh, the first matchup starts with the Gotham Awards, and then it goes, the whole regular season goes into uh, until the day before Oscar nomination Tuesday, and then the Oscar nomination Tuesday is the first round of the playoffs, and we have the semifinals, and then the Oscar night is the championship. So we are very much, very similar, the most comprehensive film awards fantasy uh, league on the net, and it is exactly like fantasy football. With some few tweaks. So, question not related to movies, but who's your who's your team in fantasy in in football in general? They're not necessarily fantasy football. Oh gosh! So, I mean, whoever's on my fantasy football team is my uh, is my team. Um, I I you know I tend to root for clumps of teams. Like I like the AFC West teams, and even though they're all rivals to each other, but I like to you know root for them both when they play each other. If, if that makes any sense. Uh, I also like the Bills. I mean, the bill, the Bills are just impossible not to like. I like their fan base. You know, they'll punch your face, but also donate to your favorite charity. Uh, and, you know, before they uh, signed to Sean Watson, I was a closeted Browns fan, but uh, that kind of jaded that. Um, and I also love to hate the Jets. Uh, I just uh, just really enjoy hating them. So. It, it, it could be worse. You could be you could be a Jaguars fan like me, uh, the right. other Jaguars. <laughs> so, um, plus I always end up drafting all of the Jaguars uh, for all my fantasy league, which is uh, somehow sometimes worked out, usually not. Um, okay, uh, I guess I guess backing up a little bit. Obviously, you know you love you love football. You, it seems you you definitely care about fantasy football, but also movies. Right? We're talking a little bit before the podcast about how you got into uh, watching the Oscars Death Face. I see behind you on video, which the audience can't see. You have a couple of movie posters up behind you. Um, I see. Coda actually last year's winner and then which one's the other one next to it uh so yeah we got uh the most recent seven best picture winners so when whenever the best picture winner comes out we order the movie poster and we that's our artwork uh for for the year so uh, we have the most recent seven uh ending with uh, Coda as you can see there nice uh so how did you get into doing I guess the the best the, the Oscars uh death face I know it's you and your wife who got into it so how did you do how yeah. did you get into all that so you know throughout our whole marriage uh we always watched all the best picture nominees um and uh we're living in northeast Kansas at the time uh, so you know it, it wasn't like a hot spot of uh, some of the more indie films that might have you know gotten thrown a nomination 
but then it just kind of grew from there. Um, and it really started the year Spotlight won uh, for the film year 2015. And that, that year was stacked with amazing movies. Uh, you had Spotlight. You had The Revenant. You had The Big Short. You had Straight Outta Compton, which was snubbed for the best picture. Um, and it's really because of that snub of Straight Outta Compton, they got you know a, a, a screenplay nod. But it was really because of that film that we watched after the Oscars that we're like, we're missing some really good films here. Let's just watch them all. We'll just print out the list. We'll watch them all. Let's do it. Um, and we did. And, um, and so, uh, when, when we do that, and I'm sure you've noticed this too, but when you watch every single nominee, and this is especially true when Moonlight won, you kind of get a little bit of a hive mind insight to what the Academy is thinking. And with the documentaries that year and the 13th in particular, even though it didn't win, uh, but the 13th and OJ made in America were, uh, the two, you know, favorites of the documentary race. And, you know, that really led me to think, hmm, the Academy is really embracing, you know, African-American stories and, and really want to highlight that as, you know, representation. And they had just done a diversity push that year as well. And when, when we watched all the movies, something kind of clicked. And I was like, man, Moonlight's going to pull the upset, you know. And, and at the time, uh, even just a couple weeks before the Oscars, uh, you know, Vegas odds was putting Moonlight like four to one odds to win over La La Land. And uh, I hit up a buddy of mine that really likes betting on anything. And I said, hey, I mean, I, I think Moonlight's going to do it. He put a hundred bucks on it. Um, and uh, I put some money of my own on it. Um, and then when it was announced that La La Land won, I was like, crap, I got to apologize immediately to my friend. And then lo and behold, nope, La La Land did not win. Uh, you know, Moonlight actually won, uh, you know, yielding us some, some money in the process. So um, I, I won't say that uh, betting was the reason why I, I continued to do the Oscars death race. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do uh, I do like to bet on the Oscars and and sneak peek. Um, if you, you know, follow Red Rock Carpet Rosters, um, I'm going to probably put some betting picks uh, on the site uh, later on when, when it comes to be that time. Awesome. Uh, so you obviously from there, you kind of got into doing the death race and just watching everything, right? All the sorts, all the other categories as well. What's been your favorite, I guess, like a film you had to hunt down basically, or, or the, the film that you may not have seen otherwise? That is, a, that is an awesome question. Um, so we, we have gone to great lengths for that white whale. Like every year there's always that one movie that's not playing anywhere and it's really hard to find. Um, so one year when The Breadwinner, um, a foreign animated movie, got uh, nominated for uh, you know feature animation, um, there was a, uh, a small nonprofit dinner theater in uh, Hopewell, New Jersey, uh, of all places. And so we... Uh, hitched a ride there. Um, it was playing just for that one weekend, and uh, we we drove and saw, you know, in, in middle of nowhere, New Jersey, uh, uh, the breadwinner. Um, other uh, movies uh, we <laughs> we we saw that the movie Border, a Swedish film uh, that got nominated for best makeup a few years ago. Uh, the Roxy Hotel in in the Tribeca neighborhood in New York um, was literally the only screen that night in America that was playing that movie, and so I. Uh, <laughs> I bought plane tickets that night, <laughs> that, that day we flew up to New York, uh, watched that movie, spent the night at the Roxy hotel. Um, you know, shameless plug to that. I have no connections there, but it's an amazing, uh, uh speakeasy 1920s style jazz hotel with, with live jazz in the lobby and live jazz in like a hidden room in the basement. Um, so that, that was a, that was a lot of fun, but 
as far as my favorite, I, I'd have to go to last year. Um, so uh, the Indian documentary, Riding with Fire. Great that was, documentary. That was, a, that was a hard one to find. Though. Yes, great, great documentary. And this is an advantage of living in D.C. Um, because the National Press Club, uh, which is a very exclusive club, and sometimes they open their doors for public events. And one such public event was a uh, live Q&A with the filmmakers of Riding with Fire, followed by a screening of Riding with Fire in, in you know, their, their screening room. And so we got dressed up and, you know, in, in our uh, finest clothes and uh, went and uh, saw the Q&A uh, with the filmmakers. I got to meet the filmmakers um, and then, you know, watched a, a very beautiful documentary on, on uh, you know, women journalists uh, in, in India. And so that, that's probably my favorite. Uh, and, and I'm glad we did that. We were on the lookout for that because PBS um, and the Howard University channel here in, uh, um, had a, uh, a screening, like, like uh, you could do a virtual screening. Right. There were a bunch of those last year, but they were all cut off like halfway through yes, the documentary. Yes, exactly. They were all cut off. Uh, and so we're like, nope, nope, that won't do. Uh, so we, we, we really lucked into um, you know, happening to find this uh, free screening uh, with, with the live uh, Q&A. So you've been able to complete the death phase like for the last six years or so successfully. Yes. Yes. Successfully. Awesome. Yep. That is that is that is an awesome. Read. And those are some great stories, especially the fact that you're able to do this with your wife. That's just like a thing that you can do with her. That's that's super awesome for you guys. Um, stepping up a bit further back, uh, aside from you know Oscars or whatever, or whatever, what are your favorite movies in general? Maybe Oscar specific, maybe just like other other types of films as well. Oh, you know, I'm a sucker for two kinds of movies. Horror movies and rom coms. Nice. I, uh, I, I, uh, you know, whenever I do like a favorite end of year, it, it's always packed with horror movies of that year. And, and it's like, ah, I, I have a problem. But I absolutely hate horror movies while I'm watching them. But I'm chasing that feeling afterwards when I know I'm safe. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, I, I'm too chicken for horror movies in general. So, you know, I somehow have gone this far into Death Fates without a horror film being nominated yet. But we'll see how long that, that streak lasts up. Um, all right, so then going back to Red Carpet Roster. So obviously you do the Death Fates with your wife. How did that turn into a uh, – into? I, I'm guessing it's a side thing for you to, to run Red Carpet Rosters. How did you get into doing that? Like, did you, Were you doing like, this fantasy thing with friends or was this something you were doing with your wife? How did this idea come about? So. So, you know, I, I, I love fantasy sports. Um, I, you know, I told my wife, if I ever do fantasy hockey, I need an intervention because uh, I know very little about hockey, but, um, and, and, and we like film awards. And so it was kind of a natural pairing. Um, and, and I saw online that there was, you know, kind of this, you know, film awards, fantasy kind of set of rules. And so I kind of looked at that and, and I was like, I, I bet there's gotta be somewhere on the internet that there's a film awards fantasy site that I can sign up, you know, maybe draft and, and, and go from there. I mean, they have fantasy everything, right? Yeah. I mean, the closest I know of is like fantasy box office a week after week. I have another podcast that does box office numbers, but uh, I know I, I don't have the time to, to manage like the fantasy box office, but yeah, there's not really anything for fantasy, uh, fan or fantasy awards. So until I saw yours. Right. Right. And so I thought, Huh, I, I, I bet we can make a game out of this. Um, so I'm a statistician by trade, and so I, I had to run some simulations to make sure that the rules made sense and that it was fun. You know, the, you know, the, the fun thing about fantasy sports is that it's competitive and, and, you know, you have bragging rights with your friends. And so I did a lot of iterations. You know, I, at my first iteration was, okay, what if we just picked movies and however many wins and nominations they get using last year's award season – then uh, th that that'll be it. Um, well, that was the year that uh, Get Out, Shape of Water, um, 
you know, what we're getting tons of awards for Jordan Peele and Guillermo del Toro. Um, and so I thought, eh, if you have that first pick and you pick a movie, I mean, by the time you get to the 10th pick and if you're the 10th pick, you're, you're not going to have stand a chance and that's right. not going to make it fun. Right. It's not like you're picking in fantasy football. It's not like you're picking the entire, you know, Kansas right. City Chiefs or whatever. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So I thought, well, let, let, let's make it as similar to fantasy football as we can. Let's have positions. I mean, there, there, are, there are positions. Each category in the Oscars is a position. You know, you have an actor, you have an actress, you have a director, you have a costume designer. Let's just make those positions. And so through a lot of more iterations, I finally got the starting lineup the way I want it. And so that, that way it made it fun. And so I did mock draft upon mock draft on, you know, how best to do this. That's also kind of simple. You know, fancy sports inherently is very complicated if, if you really drill down into oh, it. Oh, yeah. Very complicated. Uh, right. <laughs> and so it was like uh, – and, and also, you know, you have a lot of skilled players in, in any NFL game. Whereas at ceremonies, you know, they will recognize at most five nominees, sometimes not even any nominees. Um, and when, when you get to pictures, uh, you know, maybe they go up to 10, uh, but a lot of times they don't. So, so the player pool isn't as rich, but there's more players to select from. Um, and so uh, did iteration upon iteration of, you know, picking, okay, if I give this person a category designation like a tight end or a quarterback, so in other words, let's change that quarterback or tight end to actor or director. And um, if I say, okay, this person can earn points across the board. You know, it doesn't have to be just for acting. It doesn't have to be just for directing. Um, he can earn points. He or she can earn points across the board. And then it kind of fell out of that. And so our first one, I thought, well, fantasy sports has a head-to-head matchup. That's really hard to do because, like, NFL, like there are games on Sundays, sometimes Thursdays, sometimes Mondays, uh, you know. And so, but but with these, you know, some of these ceremonies are surprise announcements, and so I started looking at the ceremonies, and 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 that is a rabbit hole that I went down. I didn't know how many ceremonies there were. I mean, every single city it seems like has a regional critics association, every guild that there is, um, and so like well th- this is a rich uh, pool for points so we, we we designed the game but we're like okay it's just uh, whoever gets the most points wins well it came very apparent which team was going to win and it was not mine and so that made me <laughs> be even more bitter um is my arch nemesis uh in fantasy he's in like every fantasy sport that i'm also in and like i i, I live to beat him uh but <clears throat> he beat us and so he won the first uh year of uh you know we call the film awards fantasy league at the at the start and we started out pretty rudimentary uh it was just a data viewer on the on the web. Uh, another member kind of helped me design that, but it wasn't interactive. Uh, they would email me starting lineup changes and things like that. And and then I decided we have to have some parody. Well, what better parody than to introduce head-to-head matchups? So let's. It's okay if they all don't last a week. You know that first matchup can last a few weeks. Maybe a matchup can last a couple days. That's fine. It doesn't have to be uniform. But let's make a head-to-head. That way, on you know, if a particular matchup favors one pick over the other, it gives that lesser upset, uh, the, the underdog, a little bit more of an advantage to, you know, at least be competitive. And then we can do the playoffs starting with the Oscars and, and award the top six. And it worked beautifully. 
my arch nemesis uh, was uh, first in regular season points. He was first in the league, but a lot of his picks, including Apollo 11, his documentary got snubbed on Oscar nomination Tuesday. Yeah. Yes. Um, So Apollo 11 was getting him tons of points and then it got snubbed, which is basically an ACL injury in, in football, right? You know, that like, like they're, Apollo 11's cooked. Uh, he might as well bench Apollo 11 at that point. Uh, so he ended up actually losing the first round of the playoffs. So it it, it worked. It, it achieved its, you know, it, it made it still competitive at the end. And that's what I really wanted. And so we took a year off for uh, the pandemic. Um, and uh, so I could, you know, sit down. I was like, I really want to make an interactive site. And so that's what we did last year is uh, just my league. Um, I, I put an interactive site up uh, up on the web and uh, and it worked. And so now teams can set their own starting lineups. Teams can make their own waiver requests. They can trade with other people. They can draft using the site. Um, so, so it gives uh, team managers full autonomy to run their team uh, without any involvement from a commissioner. Uh, it does it all automatically. It also automatically computes the fantasy points. So um, they all... Entered by hand, that, that that still you know there's no uh, API that I can download from the from you know these places the to to you know automatically feed a, a stat sheet, um, so they're all entered by hand, um, but it calculates all the fancy points and you can see it in in fairly real time. It's just uh, however fast we are at entering data, um, but you can see in real time how you're doing in that matchup. You know it creates standings automatically, so you, so at any day you can see how your team is doing in that particular matchup. Um, and, and see how, you know, you're uh, doing compared to the rest of the league and, and no other site has these features no other site has a head to head matchup. No other site has uh, you know, playoff structure. Um, you know, usually it's just kind of a suggested rules, um, to, to run your own league, but this, you know, takes all of that, all of that, you know, record keeping out and, and leaves the fun part of the, you know, fantasy leagues, uh, for you to enjoy. Awesome. So, so, so just to summarize, right? So basically, you have the draft, and it looks like we're talking the Gotham Awards. Uh, October twenty fifth is going to be the first matchup. So, drafts ideally should finish before then, right? And then leagues are of about ten players or so. Yeah, um, it it really works the best with ten, and the reason for that is like actors a slot uh, is a starting slot. Well, there's ten actors uh, in pretty much every award for lead and supporting that get nominated. Um, and, and so 10, when we get to 12, you start really digging deep into the player pool and, and, uh, and that, then it just, it doesn't become fair. So, uh, to, to, 10 is, is, is optimal, but I will also say that, um, you know, if you're listening to this podcast or you happen to discover red carpet rosters after the Gotham awards, it's not too late. Um, our, we, we can still facilitate late signups, um, for the league and, uh, and the site will be able to take care of that. Right. And then you also have, and then, so you lock in, you know, your roster for a particular matchup ahead of the start of the, the, the matchup. And then you can change, you, you, you can't change mid matchup, but you can change between matchups. Correct. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so, yeah, you set your starting lineup, uh, before that matchup, that gets you through the entire matchup. Um, and then on the last day of each matchup, you can also make waiver requests. Um, so if there's a free agent out there, uh, case in point, last year, uh, Raisuke Amaguchi, uh, uh, the director, screenwriter of Drive My Car, that really wasn't getting a, a too much buzz um, for, for him specifically uh, You know, in October. But 
Um, one uh, team picked him up pretty early in waivers, and it paid dividends. He ended up getting third in the league because uh, his first two draft picks uh, were kind of busts. Um, there's busts in Film Awards Fantasy League, too. Uh, he selected Ann Dowd um, and Kristen Stewart with his first two picks. And, uh, and you know, Kristen Stewart seemed to be such a solid pick, but then not so much later on, uh, you know, after the SAG he Awards. Ba- he you know, barely made it in. Yeah, he barely – he was a sixth seed going in. He barely made it to the playoffs. But uh, be, because of, you know, he was active on the waiver wire, he ended up getting third in the league. Nice. So then, so you have, you know, about, it looks like according to your website, nine matchups. So different, and they are variable lengths. And these aren't of, these are of the, you know, film critics awards and other, you know, awards ahead of time, as well as the nominations for the various guilds before, aside from the Oscars. Uh, and then again, uh, first round of playoffs is the one day of Oscar, Oscar nomination day, uh, i.e. when the Oscars death race officially starts. Uh, and then semifinals are all of the guild awards and actual wins and BAFTAs and so on before the final Oscars, which is championship night. Yes. Yeah. The round, the playoffs is three rounds. Um, the first two teams uh, get a bye week so that, you know, they're not surprised on Oscar nomination Tuesday. Um, but, uh, you know, then the semifinals are that, you know, six or however many weeks between the nominations and then the Oscar. And, and there's tons of award uh, being given out. Then, you you know, the SAG, the BAFTAs, just like you said. Wait, yeah. Which if you're, if you're, if you're like paying attention to what will win the Oscars, right. You're paying attention to all those anyway uh, for a precursor. So that's, that's, that's really awesome. How many people, so it sounds like you, you had like a prototype your last year. Was that 10, was that just you, you and your friends, like 10, 10 players? Yeah. Or? It was just us 10. Um, you know, I, I, I saw if anyone else wanted to, uh, you know, beta test it, but, uh, you know, I was happy with just us 10, um, you know, because, you know, it, right now it, it's just fun. You know, I'm going to do this anyway. And, and we had a lot of fun with it last year. And, and I thought, eh, why, why not open the door to, to see if, you know, other people might might want to uh, look at it. But as you can see, you know, I, I'm I'm not, you know, taking any money. I, the site doesn't have any ads on it. You know, it's completely free to use. Um, so it, it, it's, it's just a you know, my labor of love that I want to, you know, open to other people because, you know, I think other people will get a lot of enjoyment out of it too. Awesome. And then, and then how many people have signed up this year so far? So this year uh, we have 30 people um, signed up so far. Uh, our, our first public league uh, started drafting yesterday uh, and then they're two rounds in. Um, it's an untimed draft, uh, but, and the Monday before the Gotham Awards, uh, there's going to be a live draft for any unfinished draft picks, um, and then any uh, no-shows will just be auto-drafted. Uh, the way it works now is that at noon every day, um, if they haven't, if the team on the clock hasn't drafted in half an hour, um, I will go in and, and uh, auto-draft for them just to keep the draft moving along. Uh, but we do have two complete rounds uh, of that right now, and uh, some surprises, I must say. Uh, Shout-out to the Citizen Kane League uh, for getting their feet wet uh, with the draft. Uh, but yeah, Kate Blanchett, went uh, first overall, uh, which was a surprise to me. Um, the The pre-draft rankings had Daniels as number one and two uh, for everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, but that's mostly because they have song eligibility. Uh, so they co-wrote uh, the original song. Um, oh, so because because they're directors, but it's kind of like a Taysom Hill situation for those who know yes. fantasy football. Where you could, you could, they're eligible mostly for director, but they are, they're flexible with other categories. And I, I imagine, I guess, one strategy would get, be to get people who are both uh, screenwriters and directors because they can do double yes. duty. Absolutely. Uh, how, yep. How many people do you draft in the league? So it's 16 uh, rounds, 10 mm-hmm. teams. That's 160 per league. 
And then um, it's uh, it's basically any position, but I'm guessing is it like how many how many of each position do people do you draft for for a team? So so the starting lineup um, is one picture, one writer or director, uh, one actor, one actress, uh, one animated, international or documentary, one costume designer or production designer or makeup, uh, one editor or cinematographer. Uh, one score, composer, sound, visual effects, or song, and then two flex that can be anything. So you and can do then, like another picture or another screenwriter's exactly. director or another actor if you want or so on. Right, exactly. So the flex can be anything, and and uh, you can tailor that flex. Uh, you get you get a lot of freedom there if you know one particular nomination is heavy with indie awards or one uh the, that week before the oscar nomination tuesday is heavy with the guild nominations so maybe you throw in some guild ones in your flex for that last uh, ninth regular season matchup and then uh so that's 10 in your starting lineup and then six bench um which you know you have claim to those players uh but since they're not in your starting lineup they won't get you points but no one else until, can you, swap, have until you swap them in until in exactly. and out between between matchups exactly Awesome. So, you know, that's a lot of the questions. I know we also have uh, other things to talk about this episode. Right, right. So, I, I can talk about this for like the next two hours. No, so. this, this, is, this is so fascinating. So I I don't currently have a, have a league yet. I've been busy with obviously my crazy hour-long episode, uh, you know, a couple a couple weeks ago for all the – hopefully which could serve as, I guess, like uh, guidance for you guys looking for who could potentially be you, – you want, you'd want to draft for your uh, red carpet rosters. But um, oh, I'll, yes. I'll look uh, – pl- Plug for your podcast. Uh, you know, if you're a red carpet – rosters uh you know league member listen to this podcast because you're going to get some good tips uh, on the come draft and uh, waiver wire i'll i'll look at the setting up a league either for you know maybe maybe with people with the in the discord who haven't yet signed up for a draft yet or maybe i'll, I'll convince my my fantasy obsessed friends to also hop in as well uh we'll, we'll figure something out um, but where can people if they do want to get involved you know it sounds like there are a couple other potential leagues start uh leagues that might start up um you know in a little bit uh where can people uh sign up for red carpet watches even either solo or with friends sure um so there's a couple of ways uh the easiest way is just to log in through the site the site is uh, redcarpetrosters.com have some uh, important dates on the homepage. you can check out the faqs and the rules but the main thing to get to the uh you know user interface is to click the login sign up and that'll take you to a screen um if you're not a registered user uh, you can sign up and it'll ask you some questions one of which is which league you want to join uh, you can select any league if you want to be placed in a public league. And there's also a place for comments. Uh, so if you just want to join a public league or you just want to join a league and tell your friends, uh, like, hey, join the Casablanca League. There's some openings. Uh, come join it with me. That's perfectly fine. If you want to set up a private league, um, you can write me a note in the comments and say, hey, I would like to set up a private league for uh, some of my friends. And then I would set you up as an admin. And then you would be able to uh, approve or reject registered users who sign up and specify your private league uh, to uh, join. Um, also, email always works too. Um, you can email admin at redcarpetrosters.com with any questions, and I'll be happy to answer them. I'm quick to answer them, um, and, and we can set you up that way too. Awesome. Well, I will. Uh, I, I will. We'll talk after we record this episode. You either email or whatever. I'll probably set up a league. Um, and you know, I'll I'll, I'll keep it private. But then you know, if you uh, if you're interested, you know, I'll I'll include those in the outro for this episode on how to join. Yeah. So so we'll we'll, we'll get that information out there. But like I said, you know, we definitely have a, a little bit more to talk about. You know, this is the best picture marathon right now. And you know, uh, we were talking about you know having John come on for the uh, for the podcast. You know, one thing that came up uh, is that you know. 
we talked about we talked last last week about last month about the uh, the the big the big hitters for this year's uh, uh, awards and you know Avatar Way of Water and uh, and and the Fablements are kind of two of the big heavy hitters right Fablements for all of the above the the line awards but with Spielberg yep. um, and then you know you never doubt James Cameron when it comes to box office or the award season uh, so not. you know those two are definitely big hitters this, in this awards I would definitely expect you know those to go fairly high uh, in the in the in the drafts uh, yeah many of which have already been drafted yeah. in the first two rounds of of the Citizen Kane League yeah for sure so you know um, now now. Now that being said, uh, while, while those two films haven't won Best Picture yet, uh, we do have both of these directors having been uh, former Best Picture winners. Um, so we're going to talk about those two films uh, for this Best Picture marathon. Uh, for those two films, 1994's Sindler's List uh, by Spielberg and 19 uh, and uh, 1998's Titanic by James Cameron. So before we start, John, uh, you know. What was your familiarity, I guess, with Spielberg and Cameron uh, before, I guess, you know, uh, I, before before the death phase specifically? Oh, uh, fluent. <laughs> um, you know, huge uh, fan of both of those uh, filmmakers um, and, and for different reasons. Uh, you know, Spielberg has this knack of just produ- directing and, and, and putting out their movies that everyone likes. You know, I, it, it's really hard to find fault with any Spielberg movie, you know, that they're just so universally loved. Uh, so, you know, I, I think I watched E.T. I don't know how many times a, as a kid. I mean, the man um, redefined what it means to be a blockbuster. Exactly. Exactly. So and then, you know, James Cameron, uh, I mean, who hasn't watched Terminator 2? at least, you know, five times. <laughs> so, I know. so, I mean, and, and like these iconic sci-fi movies that James Cameron's produced, you know, you, you, alien aliens, the abyss terminator, terminator two avatar would be included in that. You know, the, the, they topped lists. The only person who would be James Cameron for worldwide box office is James Cameron. Right. So, right. Yeah. So, you know, do you have a favorite from among their filmographies? You know, like you mentioned, Cameron has Terminator Aliens, The Abyss, Terminator 2, True Lies, Titanic, and Avatar as his directing credits. You know, I think True Lies is overrated or I'm sorry, underrated. I think True Lies is underrated. But if if I had to absolutely pick a camera favorite, it, it's got to be Alien. You know, you, you got to listen to the female doctor, you know, the just. Uh... <laughs> yeah. And then for me, I, you know, I, I, I would probably say, you know, I think I think Terminator 2, you know, just has a lot going for it for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, and then, that, and that then, is a very close second. And then for Spielberg, so I, I previously had a podcast, which is now kind of, you know, on indefinite hiatus called Filmography and Focus, where I looked at Spielberg's filmography from the 70s and 80s, which mm-hmm. was already a ton of, yeah. of films. And the, the man has been going for six decades at this point, which is absurd. Um, so, you know, he, 70s, he has Sugarland Express, his, his first directorial debut, Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, in the 80s, Indiana Jones, E.T., Twilight Zone, C- The Color Purple, his first foray into like awards type films, Empire of the Sun, 90s, he has Hook, Jurassic Park, Sindler's List, which we'll talk about, Amistad, Saving Private Ryan, 2000s, AI, Minority Report, I call this a sci-fi period, yeah. Catch Me If You Can, Terminal, War of the Worlds, 2010s, Tintin, a vastly underrated film, War Horse, Lincoln, Ridge of Spies, BFG, probably his, maybe his only miss, potentially, um, The Post, Ready Player One, and then in the 2020s, we have West Side Story last year, and then The Fablements. 
it's hard to pick one, but if you had to pick one, which would you say? Which would you oh, say you know, for yeah. me, it's hard for me to pick favorites, but for this one, it's Jurassic Park, no ta- no contest. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I would say I I will I I grew up with the Tintin comics, so you know his his Tintin his Tintin I think was vastly is vastly underrated. Um, we definitely need a sequel to that at some point. Um, and then I guess speaking specifically about um you know uh, both Titanic and and Avatar. Um, what were your relations with those films before I asked you to rewatch them for this for this episode? Oh like, when sure. Did you see them. Yeah, so for Schindler's List, um, you know, it came out in '93. Uh, you know, I. I was borderline too young to watch Jurassic Park in the movies, so I was definitely too young to watch uh, Schindler's List uh, in, in, the, in the theaters. However, um, in, in 1997, Ford sponsored an uncut, uncensored, commercial-free network primetime TV oh, wow. uh, uh, screening of Schindler's List. And that's when I watched it for the first time. Like I was always aware of it and had been kind of wanting to see it, but was a little bit apprehensive. You know, I, I, I was an early teen, you know, I, I wasn't sure if, you know, I was ready to watch something like that. Um, but it was on network TV, um, you know, commercial free uncut, uh, you know, and, and as, as you know, the Schindler's list has, uh, some very, raw and, and emotional and, and graphic uh, scenes in it. And, and for that to be on network TV and in, in a primetime slot uh, was huge uh, for any time. Um, not necessarily unprecedented, but, you know, getting, getting that cleared, um, I, I probably took some doing, but um, that's when I first watched it was uh, that uh, screening that uh, Ford sponsored. Yeah. And then and what about Avatar? Yeah, that theaters. I mean, first weekend. I, <laughs> uh, we, Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I didn't. I didn't see Sindler's List until this this episode actually um, of the podcast. And then Avatar. I also had somehow. Well, I I had missed it. And then by the time I by the time I I I, and I, I had heard like, oh, it's basically like Pocahontas in space, basically, right? So it's yeah, like, Fern Gully. Eh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, by that point, it's like, eh, like, am I really going to like you know? And by that time, it was out of theaters. So I'm like, I mean, the biggest selling point was its you know visual effects in. 3d in theaters it's like am i going to really watch it on, like my laptop like it's not going to have it's going to have the same effect so uh, f- thankfully they had the re-release you know this past couple of weekends so i actually finally saw it in theaters imax 3d um i gotta say it holds up but we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get to that so um in any oh yeah uh and, oh sorry i meant titanic not, not avatar. <laughs> that's all right that's all right <laughs> yeah, but, i mean avatar is uh, is relevant because we have we have one but what about titanic right. your, your relations with titanic for james yeah Cameron. uh yeah uh we saw titanic i saw titanic um you know, as an early teen in the theaters, I think like the second weekend. And like at that, at that time I was, uh, you know, I, I was just a moody teenager and, and I was like, Oh, I, I don't like anything popular. Uh, so, so upon first viewing, I, I, you know, I was like, eh, whatever it's Titanic. But, you know, I, as I've grown older, um, I still immensely enjoy that movie, you know, I, and I happened to give it a rewatch, uh, last week and I was like, you know, that, this is a pretty good movie. Yeah, I mean, I was much younger, and I think I just didn't have the patience. Like, I was living in the Philippines at the time, and so I think there was, you know, there was definitely a, a whole Titanic craze going on. But like, the, it was two VHS tapes to watch the whole thing, right? Yes, like, it was, I, and I had it. I I owned the VHS copy of uh, yeah. Titanic. Yep. I did not have the patience to watch a two a three hour movie that did not have, you know giant explosion i mean technically there are later on but like the first 
hour and a half. It's just a romance, which like as like a nine year old, like how who's like how am I going to stay enthralled by a romance for an hour and a half, basically? Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, speaking of Titanic, let's go ahead and start with Titanic. Um, you know, so you know, as we know, th- Titanic, nineteen ninety eight, uh, an, an epic retelling of the nineteen twelve sinking of the RMS Titanic in the North Atlantic Ocean, told in flashback through the eyes of Rose Bucader, uh, played by both Kate Winslet and Gloria Stewart, in the context of her princess and proper romance with Jack Dawson, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, at the 70th Academy Awards, it was nominated for Monster, 14 nominations, and won 11 of these. Uh, both of these uh, records for nominations and, uh, and and wins is, you know, the most of any film, right? Um, it's only the only film to have the record for both. It tied with All About Eve and La La Land for most nominations, and uh, also for 14, and tied with Ben-Hur and Lord of the Rings, Return of the Kings, with both won 11. So Titanic is definitely one of the most winningest, uh, most lauded Academy Award, uh, films of the Academy Awards ever. Um, obviously, it won Best Picture, where it was competing against As Good As It Gets, who got seven nominations, two wins, The Full Monty, four nominations, one win, Goodwill Hunting, nine nominations, two wins, and LA Confidential, nine nominations, uh, two wins. It also won Best Director, Best Dramatic Score, Best Sound Effects Editing, Best Sound, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, Best Visual Effects, and of course, Best Original Song for My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. I will spare you listeners from me not singing it uh, this time. Um, it was also nominated but did not win for Best Actress by Kate Winslet, losing to Helen Hunt in As Good As It Gets, and Best Supporting Actress for Gloria Stewart, losing to Kim Bassinger in Alley Confidential, as well in, as in Best Makeup, which... Fun fact: I learned Men in Black has a has an a, has an Oscar for best makeup, uh, beating out Titanic this year, which yeah. I guess makes sense. As it um, should, as it should. As Sci-fi it should. and horror are so grossly underrepresented in the makeup category, uh, especially. Yeah, for sure. Um, it also was, I think, the be- the first Best Picture winner um, since Sound of Music to win without a screenplay nomination, uh, which is pretty oh, that's interesting. interesting. Um, and it's also the first film to be nominated for portraying the same character in the same film for both acting for Kate Winslet uh, and Gloria Stewart. Um, so, uh, in addition to the Oscars, it was nominated, though did not win any awards at the BAFTAs, uh, won Best Drama at the Golden Globes, Best Movie at the MTV Movie Awards, and Best Drama at the Satellite Awards, and was in to the National Film Registry in 2017. Uh, and of course, we got to talk about his box office. Um, you know, it was number one for 15 weeks in a row, making at least 10 million for 16 weeks, uh, week after week. For yeah, context, that, that movie, yeah. you know, had such a high repeat viewing. Like, for a like, three-hour movie, it's insane. Yeah, I, it, like I knew, I knew people, and and we we heard on the news about people like going every day to go see this. You know, people have were seeing this, you know, a dozen times in theaters. Uh, you know, it, it I, I've never seen anything quite like that, yeah. um, except mean, for except for Avatar. Yeah, um, where and people then, are just then, repeating to go, going back and going back to the movies. Yeah, even with like Avengers Endgame, right? Or 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 um or Top Gun Maverick this year, right? I mean, Top Gun Maverick is a phenomenal box office, probably the box office story of the year this year. But you know, it was only able to make ten million a week for only nine weeks. Avatar nearly doubled that with sixteen weeks. Uh, and then you know, at week sixteen, you know, um, you know, Avatar, um. Sorry, Titanic, not Avatar. I keep confusing the two. Um, but you know, at week sixteen, you know, Top Gun Maverick has only made only made three million a week, while 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 Titanic made sixteen uh, made te- made ten million at week. Um, by the end of its initial forty one week run, most modern films only last about fifteen weeks in bo- in the box office at ever. 
at 41 weeks in theaters, they made 600 million domestically and another 1.2 billion worldwide, making 1.8 billion week worldwide, beating out Spielberg's Jurassic Park as the highest grossing film worldwide, which is a title, as we noted before, would only be taken by James Cameron's next film, Avatar. Um, uh, not bad, considering it was the most expensive film at the time to be made with $200 million. This is before, obviously, all the MCU films costing $200 million came out. Um, it was the first film, obviously, to ever cross a billion dollars, and with its two re-releases in 2012 and 2017, and apparently there's another one coming next year. Um, it will be it will make $2.2 billion worldwide. The second film to do so since avatar um, ironically actually the film was forecast when it first came out to be a box office flop due to the high budget uh due to you know uh the budget of the production taking really long and vfx getting delayed from i believe originally uh a summer block blockbuster release to a december release um which i guess worked out for the film um so yeah i mean the film originally started off as cameron's he was just obsessed he's just obsessed with like Sipwreck, basically. So he basically got 20th Century to fund an expedition to film the Titanic before he even had a screenplay done for the film. Wow, which is that's unheard you know, of. I know, right? So, um, in any case, right? So, what are your just first off your your gut impressions about Titanic overall, especially having just rewatched it? Right. I mean, I, I can understand people thinking that it might be a flop because. It's a movie about the Titanic. You know how it ends. The boat sinks. You know, they're not going to throw a curveball at you and it hits the iceberg and they, you know, make it to their destination. But the the thing is, is that, you know, that's the backdrop. That's, you know, that's not the story. You know, like like you said, it's a love story. Um, And it's a tragic love story. Um, And... The, the thing about all of James Cameron's movies that, that I really like is just that meticulous adherence to details. You know, the, there, there's so many, you know, down to the frame, down, you know, and, and he edits most of his films himself, uh, or, or he at least, you know, is a credited editor for, yeah. or a co-editor for, for most of his films. And so you can really tell that level of meticulous detail um, you know, down to the costumes, down to the production design, down to the visual effects. Um, and, you know, and, and that's what I appreciate about, you know, James Cameron and, and, and also and Titanic included is that the stories are easy to follow. And, and this goes into the you know, likability of certain Oscar movies and given those Oscar movies and uh, an advantage and Titanic is one of those. I would also lump Avatar into that. You know, the the, the story is is for the casual fan. Um, you know, it, it's not you have to. I mean, there, it's packed with symbolism. It's packed with themes, and but he still crafts a story, a, a well told story that you know people can go home and talk about and recommend to their friends afterwards. You know, that's why you see this, these repeat viewings, because it's like, oh, you know, I, I want to see Jack and Rose fall in love again. And, you know, and, and I, and I want to see all of these things again, because, you know, it, 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 it's so relatable. It's a phenomenal film. And uh, what the, my, my favorite thing about uh, Titanic is uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> had to call up James Cameron and say, hey, your stars are wrong. And so for every uh, release that went, uh, you know, to streaming, um, actually doesn't have the original Sky. It, it actually has um, a, reper- a uh, re-digitized Sky to match what the stars would have been like on, you know, April 20, 12, 1912. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I think I 
I, I think you gave me a little, a little bit of a new perspective. I will say that, like, I think of Cameron as three parts, right? Uh, or really, like, two and a half parts. Like, one part is, one and a half is, like, the director slash visual effects guy, right? I mean, kind of lumping Avatar in here. I mean, you know, he probably is one of the best visual effects focused directors in the industry, right? And that he Absolutely makes the agree. visual effects easy to, easy to pay attention to. Again, lumping Avatar, uh, Avatar in here, like, when I was watching Avatar, the visual effects still hold up. Granted, I can definitely tell there's some aging, like the in Avatar specifically, like the skin textures may be a little bit, you know, limited by the technology of the time. But looking at like the the preview for Avatar two, I saw coming up, the skin textures were, look amazing, right? And everything about the Titanic specifically, like again, the way that the the film, the the, the all the details of the set itself was created is is amazing right i mean to some degree maybe he goes a little some may say he goes too far um he apparently had a had a has a reputation as the scariest man in hollywood um for just how much he pushes his actors and so on to just get everything perfect and the crew kind of almost like a lot of the crew hated working on the film to some degree because like people are getting hypothermia from staying in that 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 giant uh that pool that they made for so long right so understandable that there's you know, maybe some controversy around that, but the results definitely, I guess, speak for themselves. And that's that he has that eye and the passion. I think that passion comes from you know he loves Titanic to the point he gets this expedition this funded. Like there's passion in this film, which I can I think is the most important thing from a film director to have passion for your film. I think that that's something I get for him. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And uh, and all of James Cameron's films are full of spectacle. And, and I think um, because of that, you know, a confusing story is, is going to detract from that spectacle. And, and that's what James Cameron does such a great job at balancing. Uh, you know, the, the hardest movie to understand of his is The Abyss. Uh, you know, but at its core, The Abyss is a mystery story. And so you want it to be kind of hard to, to understand, to, yeah. hard to understand, but everything else, even the sci-fi movies, you know, it, it, the, the story follows such a natural progression. I don't want to say predictable, but, but it just unfolds naturally so that you can enjoy the story while also enjoying all the spectacle that's going on. I think, I think he crafts the screenplay and his, his, his writing about the fil- film to best highlight, one, the special effects, which he spent so much time perfecting, uh, and two, to get that enjoyment factor. Now, does that make him a good screenwriter? Arguably, yes. If it's for the purpose of making a very popular film, is it in making a good screenplay in terms of what the Academy will award? Probably not. I think the Academy does tend to favor the more complicated uh, screenplays, the ones with the more, I guess, nuanced dialogue, right? The ones with very subtle layering of themes within within it. Uh, I don't think James Cameron is any of that. I think he's very blunt with his themes. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think, I think some of his themes are a little half-baked, for example. like There's definitely like something in Titanic about like class and all that, but he doesn't really do anything. He, it's there. He just doesn't really... Uh, and maybe something about the hubris of man, but like it's very much like ham-fisted and not really anything conclusive comes from that. Would you agree or disagree? No, I, I, I would agree. You know, it really hits you over the head with uh, this idea of, you know, a classist uh, system and, and how that really gets stripped away um, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, these forces uh, at, at work, you know, and, 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 
even then climate change was uh still a hot topic and and even more right. so and, now and even and, and even in avatar right he has like the whole environmentalist theme obviously going on the whole military industrial complex uh and tied to capitalism and all that like there's a theme there he doesn't make any conclusive statements about it he just there's something to ponder i guess but then i think the the biggest criticism i have of james cameron is his dialogue is not that great. I think like we were like me and my wife were watching Titanic and just like, Oh my God, this dialogue is the cheesiest dialogue that I've ever heard. Frankly speaking, um, the delivery of specifically the, um, Rose's fiance, I forget his name, but it's just like, so he's so cartoonishly mustache twirling villain that it's like, there's no subtlety to this guy at all. So that's my biggest gripe, I think with James Cameron, but the way, what you said, like he makes it for the easy to understand, I can appreciate it now, I think, a little bit more because you said that because, oh, this is in service of the special effects to make it a enjoyable comfort food type thing. We can see the spectacle of it all. So I guess a simpler screenplay. Yeah, he didn't get nominated for screenplay for this one. It makes sense. But it's too hiding everything else. It's a sacrifice he makes us for the, for the rest of the film, I think. Right. And, and that's what ultimately probably cost Avatar from a Best Picture win uh, because Hurt Locker – you know, it, it's got the nuance. It, it's, you know, the, this, you know, raw story of war without necessarily taking sides, uh, you know, and, and, and the script there is just so subtle in places uh, that, uh, you know, I, I think what hurt Avatar's chances at Best Picture uh, stardom that year was um, because of the sim- simple story. And uh, but Titanic uh, luckily did not suffer that uh, same fate. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So um, you know, kind of you know, to wrap up on 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 Titanic, and I guess James Cameron, kind of in general, um, given the rest of his filmography, what does this film, Titanic specifically, say about what he's interested in, and what sort of film we can expect maybe from Avatar two coming up? Like, what can we expect from that film, and how do we relate potentially to the Oscars coming? Oh, sure. Well, I think the same themes in Avatar will will find their way into Avatar two. Uh, and you know, he, he's a, a major donor and, uh, documentary maker of, you know, environmental and, and deep sea, you know, th- these, these types of uh, stories. Uh, so I, I think we'll continue to see, um, more of an environmental, uh, you know, commentary. Um, and, and I, and I'm sure that's probably play its way into Avatar 2. Yeah, commentary, maybe not a screenplay worthy, but definitely all the technical awards that he'll be able to to muster up for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, may, maybe even a directing nomination, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, th- th- this year is packed with uh, directors. You know, so, so many huge directors are releasing films this year that – it, it is a crowded field. I, I don't remember such a crowded field in recent memory. Yeah. Well, speaking of another director, see that segue? Uh, we have we have uh, probably someone I, I would say is probably locked for Best Director nomination at the Oscars this year uh, and in many awards, uh, Steven Spielberg. So, you know, moving on uh, back in time a little bit to Sindler's List, 1994. Um, it's a historical drama based on the 1982 nonfiction novel called Sindler's Ark by Thomas Neely uh, about the, Os- the German industrialist Oscar Sindler portrayed in the film by a young, relatively unknown at the time, Liam Neeson. Um, uh, he initially and opportunistically used Jewish Polish, la- uh, Polish Jewish labor during World War II before eventually uh, spending his entire fortune he had earned over the war to save about eight, between 800 and, and a couple and uh, about 1,200, the numbers vary, um, of these Jews uh, from concentration camps by hiring them at his factories. Um, in addition to, to Neeson, Ralph Fiennes, Fiennes, um, uh, 
plays uh, SS officer Armand Goth, and Ben Kingsley plays the Jewish accountant Isaac Stern uh, in the film. Um, at the sixty-six, perfectly Acad- by the way, yeah, <laughs> he was probably my favorite part of the film, frankly yeah. speaking. But we'll get to that. Uh, at the sixty-sixth Academy Awards, Sinless List was nominated for twelve Oscars and won seven. Of course, it won Best Picture um, over the fellow nominees, The Fugitive, um, seven nominations, one win. Uh, in the name of the Father, seven nominations, no wins. The Piano, eight nominations, three wins. And The Remains of the Day, eight nominations, no wins. Uh, Sinless List also won Best Director for Spielberg, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography. Um, which, fun fact, I believe it is the uh, first black and white film uh, to to win Best Picture since uh, The Apartment in 1960. Um, and then also Best Editing. It was nominated but did not win uh, Best Actor for Liam Neeson, which went to Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. Uh, Best Supporting Actor, Ralph Fiennes, went to Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive. Best Sound, uh, losing to another Spielberg film this year, a little something you may have heard of called uh, Jurassic Park. Uh, <laughs> best Costume, which lost to Age of Innocence. And Best Makeup, which lost to uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, um, which, you know, again, another very clear, probably sort of one uh, for sure uh, with Mrs. Doubtfire there, similar to Men in Black. Um, in addition to the Oscar, Sinless List won Best Film at the BAFTAs, Best Drama at the Golden Globes, and was entered the National Film Registry in 2004. Um, you know, kind of about the background of this film, Spielberg was raised as an Orthodox Jew and first became to the film in, attached to the film in 1982 when the novel initially came out. He didn't feel he was mature enough to make the project and tried to actually hand it off to other directors, including Roman Polanski, Sidney Pollack, Scorsese, Billy Wilder, and Brian De Palma. Uh, he eventually decided to to take on the project after the fall of the Berlin Wall and seeing a rise in neo-Nazism at the time. Uh, and, and, and the film was greenlit on the condition that he shoot Jurassic Park first. Uh, and then he refused to take a salary, uh, was, uh, refused to take a salary uh, on the project considering it blood money, um, which, you know, compared to Avatar's $200 million, uh, the budget for this one was only $22 million. Uh, it would go on to make $322 million at the box office. So pretty, a pretty uh, respectable, you know, not, av- not Avatar, not Titanic size, but Definitely a reasonable uh, return on investment for the th- for the studio here. So, um, you mentioned you know Kingsley portraying the director, per- the, the accountant perfectly. So let's start there. What did you think of the acting in general with a young Neeson finds um, uh, Kingsley and anyone else in the in the film? Oh, the the, the acting is is you know, top notch. Um, I you know you would really have to struggle coming up with villains uh as you know sinister and, and subtle as as what uh, ralph fines uh plays on um, goth um you know may, maybe nurse ratchet uh and one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh and and might might i add that the character arc of oscar schindler in in this film is one of the best uh that spielberg has ever done and across, you know, not just his filmography, but but of all time, it's so subtle. Like I, I barely noticed. I could, I could not pinpoint you the moment when he has his change of heart. Honestly, which some may say is, you know, it's not clear. That's not a good thing. But then maybe that is that does make it a good. I, thing, I say I that's think. a feature, not a bug. Um, you know, I, I think you know because of that gradual subtlety. Because, you know, it, and, and I think that's a commentary on how the rest of the world was you know, treating the conflict, uh, that, that was happening at the time. Um, you know, in large part, and, and this is where the, the girl in the red coat, um, comes into play, you know, that that's, that's a, you know, right in your face symbol of how, you know, the rest of the world was really ignoring the plight of, of the Jew during, you know, the early state in the early, you know, goings on of the, of the Holocaust. Um, and, and so, 
having that played out by one person gradually is masterful, you know, because I think a lot of the meaning at the end would have been lost if we had seen, you know, a sudden change of heart is like, no, I have to now save these Jews from the concentration camps. Like we get there, but you're right. We can't pinpoint one, one, uh, uh, seen in that you know you you have him witnessing um you know an execution uh which he definitely is affected by uh you see him you know spray water um uh, on the jews on the train yeah, which, i i must like i at that point i think he had had, had this i, I there were definitely points where it's like is he just playing the ss officers like you know playing like acting as if he's on their side to like to get them to like to, to get them to believe him is he playing the fool for them or like you know there's there's a scene where he's talking to ben kingsley character of like yeah I mean, like, if it wasn't for the war, you know, Amon Girth would be would be a good guy, right? He's just he's just caught up in the war, basically, right? Is he? Is he really? <laughs> right? And, and does he really believe that? Like, like, what does that say about what does that all say, right? Right. So, that that defense didn't uh, work at Nuremberg, so uh, yeah, <laughs> it exactly. It doesn't hold water, uh, right? Or, or 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 like there was another scene where like you know he's trying to convey the girt like the whole you know while finds like segment of like you know uh the true power is is having power over somebody and then choosing not to use it right and then there's a whole segment of like i'm going like i pardon you right which is you know a hilarious uh, kind of hilarious in a, in a dark movie somewhat hilarious actually thinking about that which turns dark very quickly um but i mean like is he trying to get Gertha to change his ways or is he is he genuinely like thinking that like what what is it going through his mind right and then obviously he has his his moment at the and he like breaks down like why did i keep the car i could have saved 10 more people with the car right so uh, he has like the classic oscar acting moment right it's it's kind of the same frankly seeing to see where what neeson's up to now just given what he was was doing here i guess yeah yeah uh yeah he's uh um you know i i will have to say taken is one of my favorite movies you know oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but 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 now you know the the filmography is, is uh i i i would like to see him get back into you know more serious stuff serious yeah. and subtle so roles because yeah he's good at it yeah I, I i will say i think you know despite the great acting which definitely is, is up there i think really the the film is less about the characters and their arc specifically and i think it's definitely more about sowing the holocaust and sowing the yes. horrors of the holocaust um very like documentary style right the yeah. the, the characters were an excuse to have the story about it but and in a framing right and someone to follow emotionally throughout but having all the scenes of you know what's going on in the camps what's going on in the ghettos um and all that i think that was really the main focus of the film more so than the actual character arc which don't make on with great character arcs but i think those were secondary to everything else oh yeah the cinematography is, is uh, masterful you know and, and and frequent spielberg a collaborator uh Jonas uh, kaminsky um yeah. you know who's uh, i believe shooting the fable this yeah. year um yeah uh, so so you know frequent collaborator and and for you know good reason you know they they, they really understand each other and and, you know, this idea of documentary where, you know, we're, we're placed in the action, we're placed, you know, the, these these wide shot views to, you know, really set a, a stage. I, I, I really appreciate it. Um, right, which is really why they saw it in black and white, right? To give it a documentary old school feel. I mean, you even have like the text cards come up like you would in like a documentary, like in this year, this happens or whatever, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Which I mean, like, you know, they, apparently they use a lot of handheld cameras, and but also to black and white. I think they, they initially decided on the black and white for the documentary feel. 
still, but then they use that to the great effect for like the very few splashes of color, right? You have, like you mentioned before, the girl in the red coat, and then the flames at the beginning of the film book ended with the Shabbat flames at the end in the factory that come back up. Uh, and then obviously the modern day, uh, you know, the survivors paired with, which is kind of like very meta in a film, but and anyone else doing it, I think, would come off as a little bit tacky. Like, oh, here's the actor and the person they played in real life, not during the credits, but like doing something in still in the film before credits roll. But like, he was able to pull it off, I guess, both tastefully and uh, and 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 emotionally well. I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I I couldn't agree more. And and two, you know, what color palette can you use for such a a, a weighty, heavy? Because the subject matter is so heavy, you know, a color palette will just detract from that and, you know, go on to black and white, uh, which I'm thrilled to see more and more even recently um, where uh, these uh, filmmakers that are, you know, using black and white are getting thrown some uh, cinematography nods. Uh, Yeah, shout out to Lighthouse. (laughs) Yes, Lighthouse uh, is a great example. Uh, The Tragedy of Macbeth, uh, Cold War. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm glad to see that black and white is kind of, uh, I won't say making a comeback, uh, but you know, uh, entering themselves into, you know, cinematography conversation. Right. Again. Right. And also, you know, like we said, it was documentary style, right? A lot of handle, but it's not like there were zero Spielbergisms, right? Like there were definitely a couple of scenes where like, I think when he was talking to the, to what's it, uh, the, the, the maid character, uh, Helen, I think, um, where like he, you see the slow Spielberg zoom in on her face, right? Like that was very Spielberg-esque or like this one scene where like he's bribing another, I think the Auschwitz um, director and like the, the, the director's eyes are covered in shadow or whatever, right? kind of like that very that symbolism is still in there so it's very much spielberg right oh absolutely Um, i will say the if there is one thing i think to nitpick about the film i guess at least in modern day right in modern day standards i think it might be that i'm not sure how the story of an industrialist turned humanitarian would play in like uh in like oh you will only be saved if you work for an industrialist capitalist basically i'm not sure how that would play today um i'm not sure how how well that is but i mean it is the truth it is what happened so you can't really fault him for 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 keeping it as it is and the alternative was so awful Awful. Right, um, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, that that that's the only thing that maybe does like a little bit maybe critique to that to, to the the lesson you might take away from the film if you weren't paying attention to everything else going on. Uh, but again, I think this is definitely like a five. Star, I I was like, is this a five star film? And as the film went, I'm like, yeah, this is definitely like a five star film on Leatherbox for me. So, right. Well, and to uh, your point, you know, I mean, because and this goes back to that character arc, you know, because he is. Uh, beginning of the movie, he is solely basing his decisions on profiteering, and 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 that comes into play later on because he you know confronts the the Jewish people as factory saying you know I'm objectively looking outside looking in you know he is profiteering off of slave labor if if you know if I'm an ally looking at you know Oscar Schindler and his factory you know, without digging deep into it, it really appears that, uh, you know, he is purely in it for profiteering off and, and, and exploiting, you know, slave labor of the Jews, which absolutely was not the case. Um, but you know, that, that kind of goes back to that subtle arc, um, you know, because if, if he did not have this change of heart, um, that would be true. Uh, but you know, instead, uh, you know, th- there were enough uh, survivors that were able to tell the story and, 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 you know, set the record straight. So to speak. Yeah. 
it's interesting because it's like it's a film that's in black and white about a subject that is very black and white, but at the same time, the character is very much Sage of Grey throughout the film. So right, you know. right, yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. There's many uh, shades of gray as as the character arc uh, progresses. progresses. Yeah. yeah. Any other th- any other thoughts on this film in general? Oh, you know, I I, uh, I I'm thankful that it premiered on network TV so that I was able to, you know, watch it, uh, you know, when, when I was an impressionable youth and, and, uh, you know, gain yeah. a, a deep, hopefully I, I feel like this is this, this film is due for a comeback. I think some, 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 some elements of society probably need to give this film another watch. Uh, we'll leave it at that, but yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I will say, you know, at another note, there is another film I watched a couple of years ago. I'm Filipino American. There was actually a film called, uh, Quezon's game, um, which I think is on Netflix or not, not Netflix, Amazon, I think, um, which is actually about former president uh, Manuel Quezon of the Philippines back when it was still like an American colony and he actually is is not super well known but he apparently actually uh, tried to rescue uh, refugee Jews um, I believe coming from China to, to have them move to the Philippines um, and kind of like his effort to get that to happen despite you know the US uh, at the time not really wanting to take in uh, refugees and you know this was you know the Philippines were part of the US so that's a whole thing like I think similarly to to Sindler um, I don't think he's he, Quezon is honored in the same way, like the the tree of heroes or whatever, um, uh, as in as similar. But he does have like memorial in uh, in Israel, I think, also for his work there. So if you're interested in a similar film, I think Quezon's Game on on I think Amazon Prime uh, tells us something. Not not nearly as technically massively as done as as Sinlu's List, but still a very similar story uh, for the oh, ages. I'll have I to think. check it out. You know, we mentioned you know going, kind of closing thoughts overall because we've been talking for over an hour at this point. But <laughs> and that's okay. Um, that, that's totally okay. <laughs> I, um, I am. I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm having so yeah. much fun. I, You're I, I, a great <laughs> guest. Keep keep talking. But um, how do these two films, I think, fit in their respective directors' filmographies? Right? Like, what does Titanic mean for James Cameron? What does Sindler's List mean for for Spielberg? Oh, I, I, I think uh, near peak, if not peak. Um, you, you know, if if you look at Spielberg's uh, filmography, um, you know, th- there's a special place reserved for Schindler's List uh, among everything else. Um, you know, e- even if because it's so hard to compare that to to his other films, you know, there's definitely uh, Spielberg style there as with all his movies. Um, but you know, comparing Schindler's List with things like Jurassic Park, uh, right. Indiana Jones, um, yeah. you know, you know, E.T. Close Encounters. I, it's the, definitely like the the first twenty five years of his career were like, let me do the blockbuster, like make a ton of money, and then from that point, it's like, okay, for the next couple of years, like next couple of decades, it's like, okay, let me make try make some Oscar type films with this, you know, Color Purple, um, Saving Private Ryan, um, but also you know some science fiction films, right? You know, um, AI Minority Report, and so on, and then the last couple of years. It seems to have been stuff he's really interested in, right? Like Ready Player One, uh, West Side Story, something he's always wanted to do, um, and then obviously the Fableman looks to be very personal for him. So yeah, we're kind of seeing, you know, as like, you know, I'm Sp- I'm Steven Spielberg. I can do literally anything I want, and this is what I want to do. And 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 we're I'm thrilled, you know. Ready Player One, um, I, I think is supremely underrated. Uh, that, that is a fun fun movie. And then West Side Story, you know, who doesn't like that story? Um, I you know it. It just uh, uniquely Spielberg um, and Bridge of Spies underrated. It, it was. Oh, I it love Bridge of Spies. Uh, and and it was so nice to see what a Spielberg directed film of a Cone Brothers script looks like. And 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 
that because you know we, we're all familiar with the Coen Brothers uh, movies when when they write and direct their own films, but to have that collaboration and with with Mark Rylance, who is just amazing. Mark Rylance is amazing. Yeah, um, it, it, that that was really cool to see. So I, I'm I'm thrilled that Steven Spielberg is kind of you know I don't want to say making a comeback, but I, I'm glad to see you know his movies out out here uh, and he's still making movies that that he feels passionate about and. You know, were the beneficiaries of that yeah and then obviously titanic was you know obviously huge for cameron but what, what else do you have to say about titanic for cameron? yeah so yeah titanic uh again you know you can't argue with the sheer volume of dollars um and and so it, it's uh you know near peak uh, james cameron you know films um but you know preferably because of my affinity for horror movies, you know, I, I prefer like Alien and, and Terminator yeah, 2. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the rom-com side of me uh, definitely appreciates, uh, you know, that that first half of Titanic and and, and on. So, yeah, though, so, though, I guess we, like speaking of comedy, right, at least we didn't get the uh, the alternate ending for. for Titanic, oh, right? my God. I am so, so happy that you brought that up. Um, so, yeah, if if you haven't if you're listening to this and haven't seen it, YouTube titanic alternate ending and is the most awful glorious thing you'll ever this is see what, this is what i say about cameron hitting you over the head with his theme yes. and and the worst dialogue i've ever heard written and thank god someone talked sense into him to just not include that oh in the man he, he that, needs that, to that, that deserves that does <laughs> that deserved the editing nomination for itself. Yes, because, you know, had that scene – because, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. You know, he, he committed a cardinal sin where he explained the premise like the audience is an idiot. Um, and it's like, no, 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 this is, this is so bad. And, and if – let's just, you know, hypothetically assume that that scene was left in. I think the best picture maybe, maybe it gets nominated. But maybe but it doesn't. The pure, techni- the pure technical. Right, but right. Yeah. Gloria Stewart, snubbed. Editing, snubbed. And and you're left with, you know, five technical categories with Titanic. Um, and I, I think Kate Winslet doesn't even get in on the coattails of, of you know, the, the sheer magnitude of it. I, I think that one scene would have derailed Titanic. That would have been a billion dollars less for Titanic. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, and we would be talking about LA Confidential as the uh, Best Picture yes. winner from that year. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, obviously both these films come from very personal places for these directors. Like you mentioned, like this is Spielberg's kind of wanting to do something about, you know, you know, people not hope make to make sure they don't forget the Holocaust. And obviously the other is James Cameron loving shipwrecks, right? Which by the way, James Cameron definitely has a thing for blowing stuff up between the giant twin in Avatar and then <laughs> it's like the Michael Bay of explosions without the fast editing. Right. <laughs> that, that aside, um, they also they they're very pa- films about passion, but also very different. Right. One's a small budget shot without many much storyboarding at all in black and white. Um, very not that many special effects, and then the other is the most expensive film at the time, meticulously planned out. All of this detail, so much money sunk into it. Like, what does it say that these these two films? have such different approaches to approaching passion that can both be so successful and what does it say about the directors that they can command respect from their peers and the industry well i mean we're just seeing two people two masters at work um and if one style is you know if one method is preferred by that director uh then so be it you know and 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 credit spielberg because you know he's on set He's editing Jurassic Park while it's filming. 
He's, oh, right. You know, yeah, he was, and that was happening. He had to get calls yeah. from Robin Williams doing yeah. this without fire to yep. tear him up. Robin Williams is calling him. He's uh, calling up Larry David to get screeners of Seinfeld. You know, I mean, if that was more planned out, you lose the documentary feel. And it, would have been, it wouldn't have been successful. So, you know, if James Cameron wrote and directed uh, Schindler's List and Steven Spielberg wrote and directed Titanic, I don't think they would have been as successful. Fair enough, fair enough. So, you know, it's, obviously this is the first episode kind of covering more recent films, right, like in the 90s um, in, in the same episode. So I, it's been a weird question to ask for the past couple of episodes because they've been like kind of older films. But um, based on who these were up against, right, um, do you think these films are worthy Best Picture winners? Oh, without a doubt. Um, you know, it, it is somewhat rare to, with the benefit of hindsight, to say that the Academy got it right that year. Uh, these are two years where, where they did. Um, so, you know, starting with Schindler's List, uh, with the other nominees, uh, I mean, yeah, maybe Fugitive, the, Name of the Father, Piano, yeah, maybe the, the Piano Bear. with the uh, road directed by uh, Jane Campion, um, you know. But another movie that could have maybe, with the benefit of hindsight, been a major play in that is Groundhog Day. Um, you know, in, in sheer screenplay strength, acting strength, and likability, you know, Groundhog Day might have been, uh, you know, with the benefit of hindsight. But I, I don't think anyone in their right mind would disagree that Schindler's List uh, wasn't the right choice. It's not just like a well-made film. It's just like an important film of like exactly. something that needs to be said. Yes, now, I think exactly. I, I would say I would definitely agree with Schindler's List. I think from I haven't seen most of the things on uh, comparing it to Titanic. I think there's definitely a, a bit of a case that maybe th- another film could slash should have won over Titanic. But I mean, obviously you have the whole box office effect kind of like making it inescapable and literally everyone saw it. But, you know, again, competition was as good as it gets. Full Monty, Goodwill Hunting, which is, you know, I think is a major contender as well as LA Confidential. So yeah, I, I I would agree. I mean, the, the second and third is, is Goodwill Hunting and LA Confidential. Um, and, and and I think if Titanic Hant had won, if they included that alternate ending, <laughs> it, it would have been L.A. Confidential. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think going back to the first, you know, Oscar, I, I talked about it in the first episode of, of Best Picture Marathon, which was, you know, Wings, right? That was very much a film that won off of its technical prowess, right? And we see, you know, time and time again, you know, there are films that do get nominated and we even win Best Picture that maybe don't have the best, most nuanced, you know, most artistic indie art house, whatever you want to call it, aesthetic to it but it just has that pure filmmaking pass and filmmaking technique you cannot deny how successful it is which is why that top gun maverick is probably gonna get nominated this year <laughs> probably. Um, if not if not avatar 2 as well if not black panther 2 as well we'll see yeah yeah i i think i mean this oscars have a complicated history with sequels um but i i think at least one of those will make their way in, into the best if not two at least but yeah. yeah um all right so you know i guess the answer seems to be yes these are both still sort so of one best picture so yeah um, yeah yeah and again with even with titanic i don't think anyone in the right mind would they, they may you know put out other movies like la confidential good world hunting as you know rewatchable or, or personal favorites un- um, unique and unique the more unique and artistic side of the, right, if, right if the oscar had gone with with the other direction of what they consider to be best picture versus the more production side right yeah yeah, but you know, Titanic's you know spectacle, and and I I, I just as far as you know a best whole picture, it's kind of hard to vote against the 
you know, 14 nominated Most, film. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right. So, you know, to wrap this up, you know, are there any other films you've watched recently? Maybe things you're looking forward to for the Oscar season or even just outside the Oscars that you're looking forward to watching? Oh, yeah. So today um, I just uh, got done watching The Woman King. Uh, my, our theater is like a five minute walk. And uh, if you have not seen The Woman King, it is absolutely one of my favorites this year. Um, uh, excellent, excellent film. And, and I sincerely hope that Viola Davis uh, gets her uh, name called on Oscar nomination. Oh, man. Tuesday. Actress is such a stacked category. It is. She's like, she's like sixth or seventh in my list of, of people. Yeah, yeah. So that would be, that would be crazy. But, and, uh, uh, but yeah. I, I, have, I have it as maybe a, a technical nomination, I think. So it may be yeah. in the death race. Costumes though. definitely in play there. Um, and uh, Gersha Phillips uh, for costumes. So if, uh, if you're listening, uh, maybe you spend a late round uh, draft pick on, uh, on uh, Gersha Phillips, the uh, costume designer for The Woman King. Uh, but you know, I, I, I might also, uh, do a late round, late round flyer for Viola Davis, uh, to awesome. stick in your uh, and, slot. Anything else you haven't seen yet or that you're looking forward to seeing or anything you're super rooting for, for the Oscars? Oh, I, I just, I just want horror to be represented in <laughs> Bones in the and Oscars. all, Bones and all. Right? right, right. No, I, I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Bones and all. I'm really looking forward to the Fablemans just because I, I love Spielberg. Um, but you know, I, I, uh. I, I just love the season, you know, and, and uh, I, I get excited about any film that that's coming out. Uh, but yeah, if, if I had to pick um, probably bones and all is the one I'm secretly, you know, really looking forward to. And also because of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross uh, doing the score and the uh, original song from it. Um, oh, they were doing that also. Yes. Yeah. So Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Uh, yeah. Another, another, another double nom year for them. It might be, it might be, and uh, and they're also scoring another film. Um, it's Empire of Light, Empire of Light, I think. Yes, thank you. Yes, uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross doing the score for Empire of Light and Bones and all, Bones and All. Um, it, I, I always enjoy his scores. Their scores. Imagine a year with double Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and double Hilda Gordon Dottier, oh. and then just like one random. That would be a that would be a crazy. Year. That would be great. You know, Johnny Greenwood last year almost uh, got the double nomination. So, Okay, Spencer was vastly underrated yeah. at the Oscars last year, but that's a whole other rant. Right. Um, anyway, <laughs> if people want to talk more movies with you, you know, obviously, I know you're on the Discord, the Oscars Death Race Discord, which I always sat on at the end of the episode. But where else can people get a hold of you aside from email, um, you know, Twitter or or social media or Letterboxd, even? You know, what, sure. What you um, yeah. So uh, you know, I, the, the site is pretty brand new, so my social media presence is uh, leaves a lot to be desired, but uh, the, it will get better. But um, I, we do have a uh, subreddit. Uh, it's a very small right now. It just got created last week, uh, but we do have a subreddit, uh, Red Carpet Rosters. Uh, so you can join that, and I'll post uh, some strategy waiver wire advice, you know, throughout the season. There, um, you can also just uh, look at the site. I'll probably uh, uh, make a blog feature that that will uh, you know periodically uh, post some uh, insight. Um, and then I have a Twitter as well. Uh, Red Carpet Rosters is the uh, name. But um, it's uh, the Twitter handle is uh, at JDR99991. Um, and, uh, and you can follow me there and I post uh, there too. Leatherbox, Leatherbox. 
I, uh, I might have a letterboxd account. I, I should probably get on that uh, sooner than later. But uh... all right, all right. Well, if you get if you get it up before I put this episode out, I will include all of that socials: your Twitter, where to sign up for red carpet rosters, redcarpetrosters.com, the subreddit, your Twitter, you know, your letterbox eventually when you get it set up. Um, and yeah, with that you you should definitely check that out. Um, again, I will probably work with John to get an, an Oscars Death Race uh, league set up and running. Uh, if not with just my friends, then you know with other people in the Discord. So you know, definitely hop in with that. Maybe you might be one of those people who do multiple leagues. Uh, hey, you know. uh, I, I I can do that. You know, if if you're stuck at nine and you need a a filler, I will be happy to join your league. Awesome, awesome. So we'll 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 get that set up sometime. I'll include the details in the in the outro for this episode as well as in the show notes. Uh, John, it's been a pleasure. We should definitely do this again sometime. Hey, maybe if you need some uh, some something some writing for the blog uh, on on Red Carpet Fosters, hit me up. I, I might be able to get something done for you. Hey, we we yeah, I'd I'd, I'd be willing to collaborate. Um, yeah, we we can right. we can talk. All right, for sure. Well, thank you, John. It's been awesome. Uh, make sure you draft Steven Spielberg and and James Cameron highly um, based off the conversation here, as well as some others. We'll 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 see what what the strategies come out to be. But uh, you know, thanks so much, John, uh, and pleasure to have you. And we'll, let's do this again sometime. All right, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks again to John for coming on to talk about Titanic and Sinless List with me, and of course, uh, setting me up, uh, setting up and running red carpet rosters. Um, definitely looking forward to having him come on again in the future. Uh, any of my fellow podcasters out there, definitely reach out to John. He's a definitely a great person to have on. Um, I'll post a link to all of John's social medias, as I noted in the show notes, his website, uh, subreddit, Discord, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Um, also, as I noted in the intro, uh, I've set up a league on red carpet rosters. Uh, the Parasite League is about half full as of the time of recording, since I opened it a bit early for the Academy of Death Racers Discord. Um, but we will aim to have a draft sometime the weekend of October 21st, exact time TBD. Uh, we'll f- communicate those over on red carpet rosters Discord. In any case, looking to next month's episode, November, which is going to be the last Best Picture Marathon of the year, uh, since December I'm going to start the fourth season of the Oscars Death Race uh, proper, um, we have a rather special episode. Um, this past weekend, as I record this, I was actually out of town with my family up in Vermont. Um, you know, just a family vacation, but it was super fun and eventful, but uh, one notable thing was that, you know, we were near where the Von Trapp family singers settled down after escaping the Nazis at the end of this round of music when they climb every mountain. Um, they even have a resort they're called the Von Trapp Family Lodge. Uh, so, of course, my family and I watched the Sound of Music, uh, which was itself a Best Picture ma- winner. So, uh, you know, I figured we'll have we we talk about the uh, Sound of Music for Best for uh, Best Picture Marathon, and looking to what I could pair with it since we do two movies, I figured I'd go with another Robert Wise directed Broadway musical turned Best Picture winner that my family has definitely seen uh, in West Side Story, the original 1961 version, not the Spielberg version from last year. Though we do mention it a little bit in the episode, I was able to convince my brother and my dad to come on at least part of the way through the podcast. Uh, so I'll be joined by then and you can hear, hear my family on this podcast. Um, but that's going to be for next month. Uh, so, you know, you have a little bit, but, you know, look forward to that. 
Uh, in the meantime, I, that wraps up this episode of the Best Picture Marathon of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Let me know how your death, how your Best Picture Marathon is going on Twitter at OscarsDRaceCast or via email at OscarsDeathRacePodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your podcast service of choice, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And if you can, leave us a review there uh, or just say we're the friend who loves movies. I think that's super helpful. Um, also, link in the show notes will be my Letterbox account under the username Ninsboy, boy with an I. And again, be sure to check out the Oscar Race and Oscars Death Race subreddits and the Oscars Death Race Discord as well as the community website. Uh, over specifically on OscarRace.com, I'm going to be doing bringing in uh, my box office uh, expertise from my Box Office Watch podcast. Uh, we're going to be going over kind of the uh, box office performance of the uh, different um, best uh, awards contenders as they have the limited releases to see how does the how do these how do these forecasts you know whether these films are hitting off or not with uh, for a potential Oscar run. But in any case, episode music for this episode is provided by Kevin MacLeod and Incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing production by Ninja Boy Media. That's it for this month. This has been Paul of the Oscars Death Race Podcast. Until next time, I'll be here trying to watch all the best picture winners or die trying.